some strange reason, as I was sitting there, uh, I mean, you probably saw that film, Forrest Gump. I was thinking to myself, church is like a box of chocolates. You never know what to expect. Good morning, church. I'm so excited about being in God's presence today. And just from the onset of the worship and that deep connection with God, Scripture says God inhabits the praise of His people. Jesus amplifies that by saying where two or three are gathered in His name. There He is in the midst. And there He is to bless. And that's what happens every time we come together. You just don't know what to expect. And and uh, if revelation is anything to go by, they overcame the beast by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Don't hold back on giving God praise. Don't hold back on glorifying God and putting the devil to shame. God is at work. And we just praise Him. Now, as Brad said, I am not speaking on Corinthians, but I am speaking on the ugly. The good, the bad, the ugly is actually my favorite Western of all time. And when I mentioned that in the, uh, in the 8 o'clock service, somebody started whistling the theme. <laughs> oh, here we go. So I'm going to talk to you about the ugly. I will refer to Corinthians, but I'm not preaching out of Corinthians. And the, the topic or the theme of the ser- uh, sermon is anger. The ugly part of the Christian. The Christian experience. And so I pray that as, as you hear God's word, that would find a place in your heart, change you, so that you will be different from when you came into this place. Now, there's a lot of anger out there. In fact, somebody recently said in a newspaper article, we are living in the age of anger. A lot of angry people. Wars and rumors of wars breeding out of Anger. In South Africa alone, in fact, in the first three months of this year, the following statistics have come about. Increasing road rage contributed to 17,600 assaults. Three months. With the intent to do grievous bodily harm. Of that, 6,424 Murders in South Africa. That's when anger turns to rage and rage turns to violence and revenge. Post-COVID has heightened anger in the world. And Christians are not immune to anger. We find it in our workplace. We find it in our church. And we also find it in our homes. Anger is a very real part of the Christian experience. 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul talks about love, 
He says this. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It does not keep a record of wrongs. You see, where a record of wrongs goes with anger is when you get angry, suddenly there's this record of stuff. But you remember when you did that. You remember when you did that. How we remember these things in a fit of rage and anger just beyond me. But somehow in that moment, we have that record, that black book, that thing that comes up that records everything and it just comes up. Psalm 37 verse 8 said, Let go of anger. And leave rage behind. Do not be preoccupied. It only leads to evil. Ephesians 4 verse 26. Be angry. Now let me just say that this is not a license to be angry. Because this anger says be angry but sin not. Don't sin. Don't say those awful things that you always say. Don't do those awful things that you always do. And don't hurt the people around you. Do not sin. And there's a time restriction. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Time limit. You don't get to be angry day after day, year after year, and and so forth. And so today's message is about anger. And what is it that God is saying to us about this subject? And and what it is that we need to understand about this subject so that we will not sin and we will not allow that anger to fester in our lives. So the context of today's message is Genesis. And it's just after the fall of Adam and Eve. And you will recall that God created the universe, God created the earth, God created Adam, and out of the rib of Adam created Eve. And they lived in the garden, and they were at harmony with God. They communed with God. In fact, they would walk with God in the garden. And one day the serpent came to Eve and said to her, Did God tell you not to eat of the fruit of the tree of life, uh, the tree of good and evil? And she said, Yeah. And he tempted her, and she ate. She ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and her eyes were open. She gave it to her husband. His eyes were open, and they sinned against God. And for, for, for the first time, they realized they were naked. They were running around in the Garden of Eden. They communed with God. Their nakedness didn't matter because they were completely conscious of God. But when they ate... Of that fruit, they moved from being God-conscious to being self-conscious. And that changed everything. And then God banished them from the garden. And this story starts outside of the garden. So Genesis chapter 4, and it is a story of Cain and Abel. This is where it all started. This is where the anger started. This is where anger came into the world. For us to really get hold of this and understand this and be able to apply it to our lives, we need to understand where it comes from and how it came about. So it says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, 
I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Now there's a lot of firsts here. First recording of a man having affairs, lying with his wife. First recording of that. First recording of a man being born of human parents. Adam and Eve were created by God, but Cain and Abel were born, the firstborn, of human parents. Incidentally, Cain's name means acquired or obtained. A slight derivative of the name also means spear, weapon of war, weapon used for killing. And perhaps that is a foretaste of the life that Cain would live. Violence. Abel, on the other hand, his name means breath or vapor. And we know that a breath here for a moment and then it's gone. A breath or a vapor is invisible. And that was perhaps a foretaste of Abel's destiny. Cain toiled the soil. Toiled the soil. He worked the soil. He followed in his father's footsteps. He inherited the land. While Abel tended the flock. Now Abel had two choices. Either he worked for Cain because as a firstborn, Cain inherited the land. This is throughout Old Old Testament Scripture. So he could either have worked for Cain or God on his own. He decided to do his own thing. Let's move on. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. The first angry person on the earth. You will notice that the scripture says, And Cain and his offering were not accepted. Cain was not accepted, and his offering was not accepted. There was something about Cain that was unacceptable, and there was something about his offering that was unacceptable. And we'll deal with that a little bit later. Abel, on the other hand, was accepted. And Jesus, in Matthew, actually talks about Abel as being a righteous man. Even Paul speaks about him in Hebrews and says, Abel was a righteous man and that is why God accepted his righteous offering. And then tragedy strikes. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face downcast? Now, the word that's used is grumpy. I know you usually use that word in your home. I must say when I, when I first came into my new home, uh, that was the first time I heard that word. We didn't use words like grumpy. This is, we use other words, but in our home we use the word grumpy. Why, is you, why are you so grumpy? And of course, the first response is, I'm not grumpy. But God is clever. God is all-knowing. God is all-seeing. He says, why are you angry and why is your face down, God? Because when you're angry, it shows. 
No dispute. Why are you grumpy? Why are your face looking like that? You should see yourself in the mirror. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin is crouching. It's, it's ready to spring. It's not standing still. It's not sleeping. It's not laying down. It is ready to pounce on you. And it desires to have you. That word desire is used throughout Old Testament Scripture to describe the longing that a man has for a woman and a woman for a man. It's a deeply emotional, uncontrollable urge. You will think of that first time that you fell in love. You know, we have a saying, love is blind, but never mind. Because it's never mind, you just do silly things. But this is the same word. It desires to have you. But God says to him, you must master it. You must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go into the field. And while they were there, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Just in case you wondered what's the answer to that question. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. You are your mother's keeper. You are your children's keeper. You are your friend's keepers. You are responsible for each other. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Because God spoke to him the first time. He didn't listen. He didn't even answer. So the second time he's done the deed, now God is saying, listen. Listen to what I'm telling you. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer heal its fruits to you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And finally, Cain opens his mouth. And one would imagine the first thing to come out is, yes, Lord, I did it. I'm sorry. No. Cain, because of the kind of person he is, he says to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And one would have expected God to do exactly what he did to Abel, but God does not. In all his mercy, God replies, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain. It's known as the mark of grace. So that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out of the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Why are you angry? God says to Cain. Why are you angry and why is your face downcast? Now, anger has two root causes. Anger is brought out of Frustration and disrespect. When you are frustrated, and you're frustrated because you're not getting what you want, especially, especially if you are expecting it. Cain expected 
his offering to be accepted. And when it didn't happen, he was frustrated and disrespected, feeling that others do not respect or care how we feel. And we know this. The minute somebody says something to you, you feel disrespected. Anger wells up. It is a fact. James 4 verse 2 said, You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covered, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Why are you angry? Now, there's two sets of slides here. The one is the one that you're seeing, so everything won't be on there that I say. And then there's a second set, which is the preacher's copy, and that's got all the details. And if you want a copy of that, you're welcome to have it. And then you can get all the other stuff that I'm saying. But I'm trying to keep it simple up there so we focus on what God is saying to us. So there are three Ps that cause anger. The first one is pride. Think about that. Pride. People are proud. We are proud people. Cain was a proud man. He was the firstborn of his family. He was the apple of his parents' eye. He inherited the land. He was, his father spent time helping him to toil the ground. He felt important. He felt that uh, he, he had attained something. And he was very, very proud. And when we're proud... And we have this sense of authority and self-worth that goes beyond what we think we are. We become almost self-conscious to the point of being defensive. We just wait for somebody to say something ugly about us. Cain was proud of what he achieved. We too tend to be proud of our achievements. Proud of our position in life. Proud of where we've come from. And when that is not appreciated, we get angry. God's word translation said, pride precedes disaster. Uh, The New International Version says, pride cometh before a fall. So Cain was pride. The second P that will always almost always cause you to get angry is possessions. Pray. Cain had it all. He possessed the land. He possessed the skills. He's, he's, he was accepted by his parents. We often build our, our identity on what we have. When we look around us, we look at the house that we, we live in, we look at the stuff that we own, and, and that's me. I, that's a, an indication of the fact that I've arrived. And when that is threatened, when we are threatened to take away that possessions that we have, we get angry. Don't touch my stuff. I've worked hard for it. You often hear yourself saying that? I've worked hard for what I got. Somehow we leave God out of the equation. 
You only have it because God allowed you to get it. And He helped you get it. What is it that overcomes us when we put our possessions before people? First Timothy 6 verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything that we need. Possessions. Touching your possessions. Sometimes you even see your, your family as possessions. Somebody does something to them, anger wells up. And then the third piece, privilege. This is not a privilege that comes out of, out of humility, out of a thankfulness and a gratefulness. This is the privilege that comes out of, that breeds entitlement. You feel entitled to be accepted. You feel entitled to be appreciated. You feel entitled to be put on a pedestal or to get the best seat. And this was Cain's problem. He felt entitled. After all, he's the guy who came up with the idea of the offering. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil and offered it to God. His idea. The least God could have done was say, well done, Cain. Good job. It's a sense of entitlement. And we feel that we are cut above the rest. We are privileged. God's word translation says in 1 Corinthians 4, So who says that you are any better than other people? What do you have that wasn't given you? And if you, and, and if you were given what you have, why are you bragging as if it weren't a gift? So this sets up Cain for a checkup from the neck up. There's nothing physically wrong with Cain. He's a strong farmer. Sometimes there's nothing physically wrong with us. It's from this point up that's wrong. That's where stuff starts happening. And so this, uh, I did ask a few people if they'd pose for this pic. So I thought I'll be the fool for Jesus. Give you an indication of what I mean. So Cain needed to check up from there. Maybe as you're sitting here, you're thinking to yourself, well, the, thought, the first thought is, I know who will benefit from this sermon. <laughs> Maybe they're online, I don't know. <laughs> but I think God's talking to me. <laughs> check up from the neck up. If you do what is right, God says, if you do what is right, if you do the right thing, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What is this right thing that Cain is supposed to do? What is this right thing that you are supposed to do and I am supposed to do to stop ourselves from getting to that point where anger becomes rage and we start letting it all out. Let it all hang out. Lose it. 
as they say. And the first right thing is attitude. Have the right attitude. Attitude can be described as the way you think and feel about someone or something. Cain didn't have a good attitude. And why do I say this? So Cain is going to make this offering. And he he doesn't think about who he's making the offering to. The God of creation. The one who created his parents. The one who gave them the land that they're living on. The food that they eat. This awesome and all-prevailing God is the one he's sacrificing to. And it says there, in the course of time, Cain took some of the fruits of the soil. You know, there's a cupboard in some people's house. I don't think it's anybody here. But in some people's house, you have a cupboard where they have gifts. Gifts still wrapped up. Still in the box. That nobody wants. You know? You just don't want it. You put it in that cupboard. And then you get invited to a birthday or a baby shower or, you know. And you realize like one minute before you have to leave, I don't have a gift. Where do you go? The gifts that keep on giving. No thought put into it. I don't particularly care about the people you're going to give it to. One thing you do know, they're going to also put it in their gifts that keeps on giving. Doesn't spare the thought. There's, there's no, you know, care about how they, you feel or what you think about the person. Right attitude. Philippians 2, 5 to 8 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. The right attitude. The second thing is the right relationship. See, offering is all about relationships. Offering is about either maintaining a relationship or restoring a relationship. A relationship is the way two or more people are connected or the way they behave towards each other. Now, there was a relationship between Cain's parents and God. They, they communed with God in the, in the garden. They had a relationship with God. There was a relationship between Adam and Eve. There was even a relationship between Cain and Adam and Eve. But Cain did not have a relationship with his brother Abel. He had no relationship with his brother. And part of the problem of him not being accepted was because he had a bad relationship with his brother. He expected his brother to work for him. He was the head of the home. He wanted to call the shots, and yet his brother chose to go on his own to become a shepherd, allow God to be be his teacher. And uh, Cain didn't like that. 
No relationship. And here comes the lesson. Matthew 5, verse 23 to 24. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. First, restore the relationship. Restore the relationship. It doesn't help coming and being angry when you offer to God. And then the last right thing is the right offering. The right offering. Now there's a story in Second Samuel about David. God said to David, I want you to take a census of the land. Count how many people there are. But David didn't listen. He decided he's going to count all the soldiers in his army. So he sent out his captains and he said, go count all the soldiers. And his captain said to him, but David, that's not the right thing to do. Because we've always relied on God. No matter what the numbers were. We always were outnumbered. But God came through for us and gave us the victory. No matter how how overwhelming the enemy was. But David didn't listen. He said, just go and count the soldiers. And they went and they counted. There's 800,000 here and 500,000 there. And they came back to him. And when they told him the number, he felt so ashamed. He had disobeyed God. And God said to him, three things can happen to you because you did this terrible thing. A, a famine on on the land. B, I hand you over into your enemies, the hands of your enemies. Or C, a plague over your people. Three days, plague. Wipes out 70,000 people. David, of course, opts for C because he knows that God is merciful. And that's exactly what God does. Wipes out 70,000 and then tells the angel of death, stop, don't kill any more people. And then David, out of a sheer thankfulness, decides he's going to make an offering to God. And the, and the very place where the angel stops is on the threshing field of Arona. And this is where the story starts. Arona said, the second Samuel 24, 21 to 24, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing field, David answered. So can I build an altar to the lord that the plague on the people may be stopped? Arona said to, the, to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it here, uh, offer it up. Here are the oxen for burnt offerings. Here are the threshing sledges and the yokes for wood. Your majesty, Arona gives all of this to the king. And Arona said to David, may the lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Arona, no, I insist on paying for it. Rona wanted to give it for free. There was a king. Just do it. And here's what David says. I will not offer to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Don't offer or sacrifice to God something that costs you nothing. Don't give God of your surplus don't give God of your overflow. Don't give God of your, of your, uh, your um, 
leftovers, give God something that will cost you. There's a story about the pig and the chicken. Any of you heard the story about the pig and the chicken? The pig and the chicken were sitting in the farmyard. They were just chilling. And the chicken says to the pig, Mr. Pig, have you seen the story in the newspaper? And the pig says, what story are you talking about? Oh, about the orphanage down the road that burnt down. All the kids are homeless. They're hungry. They're living out on the street. The pig said, yes, terrible, tragedy, horrible. And he says, "Uh, Mr. Pig, I was thinking, why don't we treat them to an English breakfast? The pig thought to himself, what did he have in mind? He says, well, I'm thinking I'll give the eggs and you give the bacon. (laughs) And the pig thought to himself, and then he said, well, Mrs. Mrs. Chicken, for you that's a contribution. For me it's a total commitment. (laughs) That's about offering. It's a total commitment. You've got to give of yourself. You've got to have skin in the game, as they say. Okay. Let me move on. Let me finish. So how do you change? How do you do the right thing? You change your attitude. Because if you change your attitude, you change the way you feel, and you change the way you think. The famous philosopher René Descartes is famous for saying those words, I think, therefore I am. I don't believe that he was the first one to come up with it. I believe that Paul was the one who came up with it. Remember in Paul, when he speaks to the Philippian church in 4 verse 8, he says, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Psychologists are unanimous in saying the thoughts that we think affect the things that we do. The more negative thoughts we have, the more we start manifesting that that negativity in our lives. In fact, they say, they say that uh, cells, that cells in the brain, that fire together are wired together. And the only way to overcome this attitude of ungratefulness and, and pride and, and all of those things is to change the way we think. Think that those good thoughts because eventually they'll manifest in our lives. Change your attitude. Restore the relationship. And if you came in here today and uh, you're angry. A lot of things to be angry about these days. Be angry about load shedding. You can be angry about fraud and corruption. You can be angry in your home. In fact, you might have been angry at your wife or at your husband before you came to church. Angry at your children, children against their parents. There's just anger there. Or maybe it's your attitude. Maybe you need a checkup from the necker. Maybe you need to do the right thing. Maybe you need to introspect and say, I've got to start turning to God's Word. I start, 
I have to start mending my relationship with my family. Uh, I counseled a, a couple once. Actually, just the lady. She and her husband had not been speaking for 20 years. 20 years? How do you stay angry for 20 years? She was saying that when they pass each other in a very narrow passage in the home, they would turn each other backs to each other and then shuffle past each other. And I can, can you imagine such a scene? I mean, it's like ridiculous. Yeah? But this is what happens. People are angry. And if you come in here and you're angry, you're just angry. You don't know what. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's not having work. Maybe it's you're angry at God. God's taken you believe something away from you that you really wanted, or he hasn't answered your prayer and you're angry. Time to restore that relationship. I'm going to end with this story. So, this man comes home from work. He's tired. I know we're almost there. He's tired. All he wants to do is sit in his armchair and relax. Read a magazine. Take it easy. But he's got this 80-year-old son. And the son comes up to him and says, Dad, Dad, please play with me. Come, let's go play soccer. You know, I'm really tired. (laughs) I really don't feel like doing this. No, but Dad, please, please come. And out of frustration, he tears a page out of the magazine. And on the page is a map of the world. And he takes this map of the world and he breaks it up into as many pieces as he can, and he takes some solid tape and takes the pieces and he gives it to his son. He says, they go put the world together. And he says, wow, at least for an hour now, I'll have peace and quiet. Ten minutes later, the boy's back. There in his hands is a <laughs> very badly put together, but nonetheless, map of the world. All the continents are in their places. And the man is totally dumbfounded. He's like, what? Ten minutes. Son, how did you do that? He said, that was easy. Easy? He said, yes. On the other side of the page was, the, was a picture of a man. And when I got the man sorted out, the world was okay too. We need to sort this out today. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for three groups of people. The first group is just you're angry. You're just angry. You're angry all the time. You wake up angry. You get worked up every time. Somebody just says something wrong and you just let go. Shall we bow our heads? Close our eyes. And if that is you today, I want you to put up your hand and I will acknowledge you and say, And what you're saying is, I want to stop being this angry person. I don't want to be like that. I've had enough. I'm drawing the line today and I'm saying, Lord, take this angry spirit out of me. If that is you, put up your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Praise God. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, I bring those who have raised their hands. 
There's a lot of things that we are angry about, Lord. They have indicated they are angry. You know what that reason is, Father God. I bring them before you, Lord, and I pray in the name of Jesus that they will have the boldness right now to say, I'm not going to be angry anymore. Say like David, take out of me this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. I surrender my anger to you, Father, and I pray that from this moment on, your peace that passes all understanding may flood my heart. Lord, where they have been angry and they have hurt people, I pray that they will have the boldness in the light of your word to reach out to those people and to say sorry. Commit them into your hand. Fill them with your spirit. Drive out the spirit of anger in the name of Jesus. Amen. The second group of people is you've lost it. Anger has moved to rage and you just let rip. How many of you think about the stuff that came out of your mouth while every head is bowed and your eyes are closed? If that is you, and you're feeling sorry about it, you're just sorry. I mean, that's horrible. I never want to do that again because I hurt the people that love me, the people that surround me. If that is you, you just let rip. I'm going to pray for you. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, you've seen those hands. And Father, they are sorry for what they said and what they did and the, and the hurt that they've caused. The Lord says that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And now I pray in the name of Jesus that you will receive that cleansing from God because God will forgive you. If you confess, He has forgiven you. I pray, Father God, that you would meet those people at the very point of that need right now. That they would have boldness and liberty to go and make right. Say sorry. It doesn't matter who started it. Say you're sorry and you're not going to do it again. I commit them into your hands, Father God, in Jesus' name. And the last group of people is quite a few people have raised their hand. And as a church body, we need to come in support of those people. Now, they may come to you and confess to you. They may come to you and ask you to pray for them. They may come to you and seek counsel. But I want us as a church body to acknowledge that we are there for them because they cannot do it alone. And acknowledge that. And if that is what you feel in your heart you're prepared to do, you're going to give skin in the game. You're going to sacrifice something that costs you. Because it's going to be uncomfortable. It may even cost you to, to, to spend time with that person. If that is what you're prepared to do, I want you to signify that by standing. You say, I'm, I might not be able to help this person, but I can pray for you. I might not be able to, 
to give you what you need, but I can refer you to somebody. I'm prepared to do that. I'm prepared to stand in the gap for you. Will you do that? We are the body of Christ. We are brother's keeper. We are sister's keeper. We want to be there for each other. Anger is a terrible thing. It ruins families. It leads to breaking and break up of relationships. Father God, as we stand together, we commit to providing whatever help we can, whatever is in our ability to do to those who have raised their hands. And if they come to us, Lord, we will not turn them away. Even if we pray to them and allow you to work in their lives, counsel them, refer them, help them in whatever way we can, Father, we are willing to stand in the gap. Your word has taught us that we, will, that we should not give something that costs us nothing. And it will cost us, but by your, and through your help, Lord, we know that we can help them get through this. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of us agree, amen and amen. Thank you.